This is the Get Uncomfortable Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Smith. Long before the Biden administration's student loan debt relief program, people have cited the rising cost of a college education and the resulting burden of student loan debt as a major economic, social, and political issue that has hindered young people, especially those who are low income and of color, in realizing the economic benefits that their college education promises. In this inaugural episode of Get Uncomfortable, we talk all things student loan debt and why folks are so uncomfortable with the thought of canceling all of it with Janae Adams. Janae is an international speaker, author, the CEO of EMAC Consulting, and the owner of Debt Sucks University. Janae, welcome. Are you ready to get uncomfortable? I'm ready to get uncomfortable. Thank you for having me. Janae, can you just tell us, so I know the Biden administration really recently rolled out their student loan debt relief program. Can you kind of summarize that for us, just just for the folks that don't totally understand it, the benefits of it, all of those things, who it, who it applies to, all of that? Yeah, so this one is pretty much like fifth in line, actually. Uh, this is, But this is the one everybody's talking about. So that is the one that was a campaign promise of $10,000 of student loan forgiveness. And they actually went above and beyond the $10,000 and, and went to the $20,000 student loan forgiveness for those who had Pell Grants. And the income threshold is $125,000 or less for single and then 250 grand for those that are filing, that are married filing jointly, or you're filing head of household. So that's also some good news for people as well. But that is the gist of the student loan forgiveness plan. Mm. So you said fifth in line. So I understand, first off, I guess the biggest question is, does someone need to apply? Or is this, once it is authorized, once it's done, is it just going to apply you know, off the top to people who qualify or not? So is there an application process? process? And then second, um, what are the other four? I know we have private loan or um, public service loan forgiveness programs, things like that. Yeah. So for I'm telling everyone that once this plan, the application comes out, just apply. Supposedly, 8 million people are going to get automatically forgiven because the government already has all your information. But that's 8 million out of like 40 million people. So everybody just apply. You never know what may happen in the, you know, as they're doing things. Just apply when the the application comes out. Uh, The other ones, the other student loan forgiveness programs are the, of course, the total and permanent disability student loan forgiveness. Uh, You also have the one you already mentioned, the PSLF, that's the public sector loan forgiveness. Then you have the for-profit colleges that scam people, (laughs) student loan Mm -hmm. forgiveness. And then, of course, the one that's coming up as well, which is the income-based repayment and income-driven repayment. They're going to revamp that one as well. And that's going to give a lot of people student loan forgiveness also from that end. Mm, So bottom line, go to the Department of Education's website, apply for all of it. So you are not one of, you're not the eight millionth and one who's left out, right? (laughs) We all got some debt. We're trying to make sure that it applies. Um, One of the things I saw recently, I think it was last week, right? The Department of Education Mm -hmm. came out and they made some revisions Mm -hmm to the Biden administration's 
relief program. Can you talk a little bit about those recent revisions last week? And I know that there were some court challenges from the Republican Party that I think only applied to loans that were coming from private Mm -hmm. entities. But can you, as the expert, give us some updates on those things? Yeah. So it was 770,000 people who were pretty much pulled from it. It was, you know, thin ice in the first place for them to possibly get it. That was really the Biden administration trying to help everybody. And because, and those people already had private touching those loans already. And once you have private touching your loans and they're not completely federal, you can be in some trouble. And so that's what these 770,000 people were in. The banks actually started suing the administration. And so the banks started suing them. And what that did was put at risk the other tens of millions of people who can get student loan forgiveness. So yes, the 770,000 people lost their opportunity, but that could have delayed tens of millions of people, the 10,000 or 20,000. Now, the Republicans that are suing right now in the different states, so the Republicans who have attorney generals who are Republican, obviously, they're suing to take it all away. <laughs> so not right. not just the 770,000 people, no, tens of millions. They're trying to take the 10,000 and the 20,000. That is the bigger threat than what everybody was reporting last week about that little revision that was taken out. So I wanted to tell everybody, I did it on my Instagram, um, that you need to stay focused on the tens of millions, which more likely involves the people that you know, follow me. I said, let's stay focused on that. Mm, no, that's that's really important clarity because you know the key is people have been waiting for some level of I won't use the word forgiveness because I don't know if folks done sinned. How about we say that? Yeah. You know, I mean, as, as somebody who has a theology and a pastoral degree, I think being first generation person of color, whoever, and going to college to help our nation, and because college costs so yeah. much. I don't know if that's a sin to be forgiven. I think it's something we need to cancel. And I, so I think even in the words often that others, not you, Janae, yeah. but others use related to student loan debt, where it's forgiven as if you've made some mistake, mm-hmm. where really what you've done is you've bought into the exact American dream. And I know you and I talked about some history of student loans dating back to 1958, Mm -hmm. right? That we bought into an American dream that by law, so many of our grandfathers and grandmothers were cut out Mm -hmm. of, right? Because they couldn't take advantage of the GI Bill. They couldn't go to public colleges because of segregation, thus the need for HBCUs. So talk a little bit about some of that history dating back to GI Bill in 1958 and how student student loans had to come in to be as a way for so many who did not have the financial means or were denied access to college, right? Were able to... uh, So the only way to build wealth in this nation is to own property Mm -hmm. and to get education. Those are the two things. And for so long, if you were Black, Brown, poor, Indigenous, you were not able to prescribe to either one of those things, education beyond high school or owning property. So you can talk a little bit about that, the historical pieces of that. So definitely like with the GI Bill, that's where the racial wealth gap really exploded. And part of that was the 
ability for the vets who came back to, of course, the housing part, we know about that, but also to be able to get, you know, education, to get college degrees and get funding for that. And of course, African-Americans who are vets didn't get anything that was promised in the GI Bill for the most part. And that's what exploded the racial wealth gap. So that whole part of the funding for college uh, was definitely an issue. And the funding, as well as everything else of building wealth, is the reason why a lot of times African-Americans have to take on debt now. They don't have equity in the home to tap to. They don't have the rich grandmother that you know got money from the, <laughs> the situation with the GI Bill. It was all kind of like a domino effect uh, coming down. The whole 1958, when the government started doing federal loans, that had to do more with trying to compete with the Soviet Union. That, that was the whole situation with the Cold War and everything like that. But separate, the GI Bill really was the main issue that exploded the racial wealth gap. And like you said, with the housing as well as the education. Well, and like we say all the time, right? Folks will say, well, you know, I earned everything I have. Well, (laughs) but there were a bunch of government programs that your grandfather, grandmother, your family member qualified for that because of redlining, other people that fought alongside you did not have access to owning a house. Exactly. Because my wife and I can own a house. It's the reason why our kids have graduate degrees, because that property ownership creates wealth, creates wealth that our family can rely on and help not only us, but our children buy houses. And homeownership creates access. And that's also, as you know, how we fund public education. Bigger challenges um, related to the schools and the ability for those schools to provide that education. So one of the pieces I was thinking about is, you know, I went to college in the 90s. So we were the first group where college was not something you could earn enough money to pay for in the summers, right? And so student loans became real. And I remember going on on the forum and having to pick the bank that my student loan would come Mm -hmm. from. And it was a guaranteed student loan, but it came from a bank. Talk about that transition from what we still have private loans, Mm -hmm. so to speak, but now the Fed is essentially not only the guarantor, but I think in 2008, 2009, as part of the bailout, there was some acquisition of student loans by the federal government from the private sector as part of that bailout that the then Obama administration did. Can you talk a little bit about that history? So that actually was like a temporary situation. So just like the federal government during that time with the bailout, they had to take on car loans and, and mortgages and it, like everything. <laughs> everything was falling apart and student loans just happened to be a part of it. And then the banks could come back a year later and say, okay, now now we're ready to take this back or you all can just have them. And so that's where the separation was. But even with the Obama administration doing that, they received a lot of money from that, that they're able to actually put money towards Pell Grants and also be able to put money towards Obamacare. So it, it was actually some good that came out of them doing that. It was money that was able to be shifted to raising the Pell Grants amount and Obamacare, which which helped millions more get insured. So it was still a positive, and a lot of the banks took those loans back, and those are the ones who still have them today. I think that's where, you know, back around that time, they issued summer Pell. Yeah. Remember? Because yeah. you get you get a certain amount of Pell, I think it's 6,700. Yeah. Don't 
quote me, but I think it's sixty seven hundred dollars yeah. for the year, which includes summer. But there was always some years where they would say, "Oh, here's some additional yeah. summer pill." Yeah. So if you wanted to go to school in the summer, that would help. One of the things that I wanted to talk about is kind of who are the ones, who are the folks that are getting the most benefit mm -hmm. from student loan cancellation and who are the ones that are most burdened yeah. by student loan debt? So I was reading a couple studies that said, you know, Black women, every sister's always bearing the burden yeah. for a nation, right? Yeah. So with, I mean, it's understandable that African-American women would have more because they're the most educated in the country. And then you go back to the GI Bill, you go through, you know, the whole situation that we already talked about. Janae, Janae say that again about African-American women being the yeah, what the, in the country? The most educated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> amen. We got to say amen for the crowd. For yeah. that. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. They're, they're going to college at a very high rate than everyone else. And so Couple that with the whole disparities in the past with the racial wealth gap, they're going to definitely be the ones who have the most student loan debt. And what the issue that it may have with, you know, careers and starting careers is that a lot of times African-American women may not go into the careers they're passionate about. They may go into the ones that pay the most money. So you may miss out on, you know, the representation of African-American women in the, the in teaching and being a principal, those kind of things, because they need to go and work in pharmaceutical sales and things like that to make enough money um, to pay back those student loans. So it does affect their career prospects a lot of times, especially if no one has showed them how to, first of all, go to college for less money. And then while they're in there, be able to find scholarships and continuation through that and then pay the student loan debt all quickly. Like you show them that they can go into teaching, they can go into social work, they can go into what their passions are. But it's a lot of failures along the way uh, that that not only just African-American women, just people who are in a lot of student loan debt. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you and I do a lot of work with TRIO yeah. programs. So shout, shout out yeah. to TRIO doing it, doing it right for America since 1964. Right. The reality for people first gen like me is we didn't have anybody light the runway. You are literally lighting lamps as you go. You don't know when the runway is going to fall off, when you need to take <laughs> off, when you need to land. And for so many, if you have parents who went to college, you know that runway, yeah. right? And that's the beauty of programs like TRIO, but also the work that you do is lighting that full runway for students because that runway is about aspiration and access and success, right? Because you just talked about, you know, the private sector loan forgiveness program. You talked about all of these options, but we have these ideas. Well, being a teacher or a social worker, you don't make any money. Or being in public health, you don't. Well, but you can have those loans forgiven too. So can you talk a little bit uh, uh, more about the loan forgiveness program in the public sector and how that applies not only to teachers, but people in nonprofits, people in the healthcare industry, areas that are are demanding and looking for as many employees, especially employees of color from those very communities. Yes. So the public sector loan forgiveness is a program that started under the Bush administration in 2007. And they found that obviously student loan companies who were third parties from the government weren't doing their job and doing people wrong. So they've actually done a waiver over the last year to help people get back into the program. And it is for the, anybody in the public sector. So teachers, anyone who works at a, at a hospital, a not-for-profit hospital, uh, those in the military, policemen, 
a fireman, anything you can think of that is a public sector, even a nonprofit and so forth, you have an opportunity to get into this program. You make 10 years of payments, 120 payments, and whatever's left on your student loans is completely forgiven. So a lot of people who are in higher education, they tend to have uh, very high student loan balances because they they all go to undergrad and maybe they even got through undergrad without student loans, but they a lot of times they're not going to get through a master's or a doctorate without student loans. And so there tends to be a lot higher. And that's why that public sector loan forgiveness is crucial to make sure that they're in that type of program. So when, when you, when, cause I know when I hear 120 payments, I'm like, sweet Jesus, 120 payments. But that coupled with $20,000 of potential cancellation, if you're a Pell recipient or 10, coupled with you know, income sensitive payments could really make 120 payments doable for people. Now, when I'm, I'm going to just get on the Bush administration a little bit, when they created it, it wasn't super feasible because if I owe $80,000, how am I paying 120 payments when I'm making 50 grand a year, right? That wasn't, it was basically, let's, let's put a goalpost out there that is a kick maybe 5% of people can make. Now, because of all the other five student loan cancellation, forgiveness, income sensitive, it's much more attainable to get access to the public loan forgiveness program and to make it a reality for people. Would you agree with yeah, that? Definitely. Yeah. So so one of the things that, you know, because I've been beating the desk, Janae, beating the desk on full cancellation of all student loan debt in America. Okay. I want it all gone. So how do we deal with not only the additional debt that's there after the 10 or 20 is canceled, but the realities around the cost of what it takes to go to college for many of us to live out the dreams we're trying to do and bottom line, just support our families? And so um, student loan forgiveness and student loans and higher education is a very complex subject, as you know, and it takes more than just eliminating $1.7 trillion. Like that doesn't, to me, doesn't solve the problem. It has to be a K through 12 issue. It is also a parent and child issue. So a parent and child, parents not being able to say no. Like you can't afford to go here. We got a lot of students that just go, this is my dream school. I've had to talk a lot of students out of stuff. I'm like, you're not going to live any dreams going to that school. You can't afford it. And neither can your parent who sent beside me not saying no. Then you also have the institutions who continue to raise prices every single year is also an issue. And that that's why a lot of people, you know, not that they're against it. They want it to happen, but they're saying, what else are we going to fix? So like Mark Cuban, owner of the Mavericks, he says he's about student loan forgiveness. But what is going to stop institutions from basically saying, oh, we got this cushion and we can just continue to raise our prices? That is that's a real concern from somebody who's a supportive and, and also being able to show students how to get out of student loan debt quickly. If you have to be in it, how to go for scholarships. It's just so many things at state level. State has been pulling back their funding, you know, for years. So how do we get that to go back up while also having to deal with the institutions to stop raising their prices if they bring the funding mm -hmm. back up and then the federal government, what about let's stop, you know, the interest rates, like whatever someone takes out, we're not trying to make money off of it. 
we if, if it's twenty thousand you took out, that's the twenty thousand you're gonna pay back. It's so many different levels that we have to hit, and unfortunately, just being able to do student loan forgiveness, you know, the one point seven trillion dollars, it's just like you said, thirty thousand students just at your institution, it's gonna ramp it back up, and it's gonna be right back to one point seven in a few years. When I started doing this work eleven years ago, it was one point seven. I mean, one point one trillion. Now it's one point seven. Like that, that's an issue that everybody has a stake in it that has to be fixed. Mm. Well, and you're so right. You know, I mean, the reality is I always tell students in high school Mm -hmm. when I'm talking to them about going to college, say, if you, if you only hear one thing I say, if you can't pay, talk a little bit about your work with Mm -hmm. Debt Sucks University, your book, the work you do with TRIO programs, really, I would call it, you know, you and I have met, it's your ministry, right? This is our work. So talk about your why, but then also talk about really why that resonates with so much, um, so many young people Mm -hmm. and so many programs around the country. Yeah. So um, I started doing this work because I paid out the 50 grand of debt in the two years. I'm a first gen graduate. Um, My whole goal is to close the wealth gap as well as the racial wealth gap. Um, I am a big believer in understanding that <laughs> if, we, if, we, if one of us is suffering, we all suffering, all right? I, my, my shero is Fannie Lou Hamer. And I definitely understand that's why I work with TRIO programs across the country is that a lot of times we all, we all different colors in the, in the, same, in the same problem. Like, <laughs> I mean, from, from Asian Americans to uh, African Americans to white, white Americans to Native Americans. I've talked to them all, Hispanic Americans, like everybody. We're, we're in the same place. And we are fighting against a system where everybody else had advantages that we did not have. And so when I step in front of them, I am trying to cut that learning curve, not in half, like 98 percent. I'm trying to cut it. Like I'm going to make you not only catch up to everybody else, I'm going to make you like leap forward past them that they have no idea how you got there. And so the financial literacy part that I do is really trying to show them how to not only handle their money, but bring in money that you don't have and then handle it. A lot of times first gen, like people always say budget, spending plan, they don't have no money. So how are you going to show them, first of all, how to get some money and then you can show them how to manage it? And so I'm I'm really getting in front of them and they're, they're seeing in me hope. They're saying, Janae used to be where I'm at right now and she got to the other side. And so I want to be able to, whatever she's saying, I'm going to do it. And that's what it has been the most success with me, with my program with Debt Sucks University. Janae, for the audience that's listening, how do folks get in contact with you? Yeah. Uh, share your your social, your website, all those things so people can get in contact with you because you're breaking down a lot of info and a lot of data that people are missing. Mm-hmm. And what I'll tell them is just reach out to Janae. So how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, so my website is debt. So debt, like get out of debt, debtsucksuniversity.com. So that's debtsucksuniversity.com. And for Instagram, that's where I go live a lot. And, and share a lot of information around financial literacy, around money management. And on there, I am Janae Adam Speak. And my name is spelled like Janet, like Janet Jackson. So Janae Adam Speak. Uh, I like the Janet. Yeah. Miss Janet. Yeah. Well, and the, the, the thing that I was hearing you say, which is so true, is the issue with debt, especially mm-hmm. loan debt, 
and kind of what Flavor Flav would say, don't believe the hype. Mm -hmm. We've all believed the hype though. Go to college, you're going to make more money. Go to college, you're going to have a successful life. And then you graduate from college Mm -hmm. because you didn't know where the treasure chest is buried, right? Because I I was telling my daughter the other day, who's an educator, both of my daughters, and I said, if college wasn't something and homeownership wasn't something Mm -hmm. that built wealth, People of privilege wouldn't find ways to get in the back door of doing it. Yeah. Aunt Becky from Full House wouldn't find a way to get mm. her daughter into USC. <laughs> she wouldn't find if it wasn't part of the secret sauce, they wouldn't be trying to cut in line. And it isn't just that they cut in line, they cut in line in front of hardworking, low income, first generation people of color who have earned that. Yeah. And then when those people are walking around USC, People look at them like they cut in for some special so-called affirmative yeah. action program. So I, I'm thinking about that there's this, this image of these 85% of Americans mm-hmm. who believe that student loan debt is out of control, mm-hmm. that believe that the price of college is crazy because so many young people today, and I did, you know, I have Mercedes Benz eyes and mm-hmm. Honda Accord pockets, right? <laughs> so I want, you know, I want the lazy river on campus. I want the climbing wall. <laughs> I want all these things. And the universities have no choice in an arms race. I mean, this is a capitalist system. Mm-hmm. So they're all competing with each other right? You and I know when we went to school, you'd get one big room that you and a roommate slept in on a bunk, and then yeah. you take a shower with everybody else, and they tell you to shut up and be quiet. <laughs> now, what happens is so many of our young people finish a baccalaureate degree, and their living situation and access to gyms and workout mm-hmm. and all of these different facilities their life goes downhill when they graduate. They're mm-hmm. like, man, I'm used to all of these resources on this all-inclusive resort called the college <laughs> campus. So what is happening where 85% of people are all banded together mm-hmm. and then 15% has us all afraid and uncomfortable with, well, if they cancel mine, they, they're going to cancel yours. And what about me? And I paid off mine. What is going on where people are not looking at each other and saying, you know what? It isn't us, it's them. And this small percentage of people that are sitting like Mr. Burns on The Simpson, just laughing as we all fight with each other about who's going to get helped more. What What do you think is going on there as it relates to finances? Um, I just think, you know, the ones who may not want it to happen, it, I think it's a little bit misguided. I actually did a whole new segment about it and why they get it wrong by saying that. Because if you didn't complain about a $2 trillion tax cut that happened in 2017, if you didn't complain about the Paycheck Protection Program, which, by the way, $793 billion has already been forgiven, and the cost of this forgiveness with student loans will be $400 billion over 30 years. Okay? <laughs> like, like I, I don't like people to use their politics to judge reality. All right. And I, and I say that on both sides and and I say, you got to look at everything, like look at the whole picture. And like I said, if you got a problem with student loan debt, you got to have a problem with everything else. Okay. (laughs) You just got to have a problem with everything else. And so that's what I say to the people who have a problem with it. If you didn't have a problem with everything else that by the way, you didn't get either, then Mm -hmm. just let it ride. Well, and I think I think you're spot on. I think it dates back to the image that's been put out of who is the lazy, mm-hmm. the welfare queen, 
the all the things, right? The person who is not doing what they're supposed, well, I paid off mine. And it's this image that's been drilled in our minds that we immediately think somebody is just sitting around doing nothing. And where's mine? But I guarantee you, like you said, with the PPP forgiveness or with, God help us, the money we just sent to Ukraine mm. two weeks ago, another $4 billion, mm. right? That's real money. I think one of the fears, and you as the finance person, can you talk a little bit, because I struggle with folks not understanding basic civics. Mm-hmm. Like the government is us. We are the government. The government mm. is the people. So when they send, no, it's our money. Mm-hmm. So the question, this idea, when I've talked with some people about student loan forgiveness and regulation or controlling mm-hmm. the price of college tuition, um, there's been some pieces that people struggle with. The first thing they say is, where, where's all that money going to come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, Janae, where's the money going to come from and why are people afraid of even talking about the money? Yeah. And that's another thing that people have to just, you know, get outside of their bubble and just really, you know, read everything, like just not read things. It's just on one thing, but understand that everything is a totality and everything affects one another. After this year, this administration would have saved $2 trillion by that. Just this, these two years, $2 trillion. That's where the money's coming from. And they're, they're talking about this 400 billion over, you know, the um, 30 years. No, it's actually there already because of the two trillion savings. Now, obviously, all the two trillion is not going to student loans; it's going to everything else that makes this society go together. But for when people say, "Where's the money at?" Oh, the money's there. They they they're bringing down deficits and they are saving money. The the Medicare bill that just happened, where people who are you know sixty five and up are going to start saving. I mean, only two thousand dollars out of pocket with their medications. I was in pharmaceutical sales for ten years. You best understand that anybody who has Medicare, $2,000 out of pocket for medications for the whole year is a big blessing and a mm. big savings to this government. And that is also going into that $2 trillion. Trust me, the money is there. OK, so mm. like the money is there for that. The money has been partially paid for with the Paycheck Protection Program. Your stimulus checks that y'all have taken <laughs> has been paid. So understand the money is there. That That's just not a great argument. The money is there for Ukraine. All, the money is there for everything right now. It's two trillion dollars. And they're going to keep cutting things as the time as the administration goes on, because that's just what their plans are. Well, and that gets to what you said a little while ago that, you know, black women are the highest college going population Mm -hmm. in the country. I do student success for a living. Mm -hmm. I have never worked at a school that the demographic group that didn't do the best every term was black women Mm -hmm. every single Mm -hmm. term. So it doesn't seem to me to be a coincidence that our liberal counterparts who want to cancel, they know the political calculus they're playing, Mm -hmm. and they know who the base of their party is, which Mm -hmm. bottom line is Black women. Mm -hmm. And if cancellation of all of it, if we have the money, right, Mm -hmm. and we have the resources, and we know it would benefit the base of the people who, I mean, that's what the Biden administration wants, is all elected officials just want to stay elected officials. Mm -hmm. That's how it works, right? So- then who are they playing to by just doing 10 and 20 if it isn't about the money and it isn't about the political calculus because it's what their base would benefit the, from the most from, then who are they trying to play to if 
they aren't canceling all of it. Yeah. So the the money, the money is there for this portion. Like I said, they're saving mm-hmm. two trillion. You got other things that got to be handled out of that two trillion as well. Now, as far as what they promised, they promised the 10 grand. All right. So that's what the campaign promise was. That's why I try to remind people of this 20 grand was extra. OK. And they had to do it this way because of something that happened earlier with another stimulus bill where they were going to basically give money to black farmers who did not get the money they were supposed to get. But guess what happened? They white farmers sued them and sued them. And then now the black farmers aren't getting anything. So one of the promises with the administration was talking about HBCU students. So the way to get around these lawsuits and people are not looking at it this way is Mm. that the 20 grand for Pell grants is fulfilling that promise because we know that 98% of Pell Grant people are African-Americans and they're not getting 10, they're getting 20. And so when you look at it that way and you actually explain it to people that way, then at least with African-Americans, black women, whatever, like, oh yeah, you're right. Because if they didn't do the whole Pell Grant piece and just said, no, HBCUs are getting it, they would have got sued and the 20 grand or anything wouldn't have happened at all. So mm. they, they were able to circumvent that and outsmart everyone and say, oh, you guess what? Not only because it's not a race thing. I, I, it's, they're white people with um, Pell Grants. They're Asians. They're Hispanics. So nobody can sue them over it. And all these first gen limited income, as well as mostly African-Americans, HBCU students getting them 20 grand, them students and them graduates. <laughs> oh, no, no. They, see, that's that's why the pro is on here to explain <laughs> that. I think we talked about the GI Bill. We talked about redlining. We talked about access. You know, my reality is it's all a race thing. I mean, y'all didn't give people access to that strictly because of their race. I I love the political move and the strategic legal move mm-hmm. of working around it by saying, oh, no, this is for everybody because it's just Pell. Yep. It's smart. We do that at a lot of our institutions by saying, oh, no, this scholarship isn't race based. Mm-hmm. This scholarship is based on where you live. But if we are going to repair, right, and we'll get into reparations in a, in a future episode, mm-hmm. but if we're going to repair and heal and get the playing field level, at some point we have to acknowledge, right? At mm-hmm. some point we have to say all of these people for not just because of slavery since 1865, mm-hmm. but then to 1965 and then going forward, mm-hmm. right? There was a whole group of people who have been doing nothing but running up the down escalator for generations. Mm -hmm. And there's another group that just hasn't. And we have to repair that in different ways. I love the idea of making college free for those people and their children, right? Now, I I get that it would face every lawsuit known to man. (laughs) I I get it. But see, that ain't my job. I don't work in politics, right? I work in higher ed and I just sit and talk to y'all. So I think those are really, really important distinctions of how they got there. Mm -hmm. Janae, what are the biggest tips? Let's first talk about parents, Mm -hmm. parents who have young people in college who are going to college or parents who are looking to get upskilled or reskilled, right? And Mm -hmm. they want to go back to school. What are some of the things they need to consider around affording, paying so that they don't go into debt? Because as you know, debt sucks. Yeah. (laughs) So, so definitely understanding like the best advice I got from, you know, an interview I did with a company I ended up working with. He said, Janae, I don't care where your piece of paper came from. I care about how much money you're going to make me. 
And that just rang out to me. And I, and I tell students all the time, I said, you all trying to go to these big name schools, these name schools, and people who are outside of this whole system don't care about that. They care about how much money you're going to make. And I don't care if you're going to be a teacher, you're working at a nonprofit, you're working at a corporate, it's always about money. So when you're looking to try to go to a college, look for what you can afford what you can afford as far as finding scholarships for and, you know, a minimal amount of loans. OK, because I got to tell a lot of first gen students, I said, yes, you may not have been able to avoid student loans, but you don't need to keep them as a pet. So that's the next thing I would tell people is like once you figure out what that cost is going to be, you start figuring out your plan and how you're going to start to pay it back as well. Really good. You know, I think one of the keys are is we're always drawn into the school especially young people, mm -hmm. right? Because I've worked community colleges, regional campuses, yeah. and then I've worked for schools that are in the front of a sweatshirt that are on TV mm -hmm. playing college yeah. football every yep. day. And in the end, you know, <laughs> telling your friends that you're going to X school to be able to brag about it yeah. when you're in high school, you still got to go to class. Yeah. Still school. Even that place in Tuscaloosa yeah. in the spring, <laughs> it's still school and it's still winter and going to school is hard, right? Yeah. And so sometimes we pick it so we can tell folks, yeah. I'm going, hey, I got the iPhone 14. Yeah. Well, you didn't use 10% of the 13. Now you need the 14 just to tell people. <laughs> so I think those are really important, especially in states where community college is free. Yeah. And dual enrollment is free, yes. right? I, I mean, the state of Ohio, you can go to any college or university while you are in high school, as long yeah. as you're admitted. And it's not only tuition and fees not paid, but books are not paid. Oh, that's Now awesome. imagine, yeah. imagine rolling it. Tennessee is the same way. Kentucky mm -hmm. is the yeah. same way. Illinois is the same way. Oh. You know, seeing... The opportunity, if you walk into college with 40 credits, that's 40 credits you ain't paying for. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, and using that also, you know, one of the things that I wanted you to talk about quickly is our entering freshmen. One of the keys that I was telling a group the other day is you only have three summers until you're done. Yeah. This can't be summers off sitting, twirling, you know, <laughs> twirling as a lifeguard at the pool, yeah. right? You can't do that anymore. You have to gain access to internships because mm -hmm. that increases the opportunity for earning. Talk about what students can do in the summer and also what employers could do because unpaid internships are strictly for the privileged. Yes, I always tell students I'm in front of, I, I tell them, I said, don't you ever do an unpaid internship. Because if they can make money off of your work, you need to get paid for it. And I said, we don't do unpaid internships ever. I don't care who you are. <laughs> we don't do unpaid internships. And, and, and so when students are looking for internships, I always tell them, I say, look for paid ones. Great news. The government just decided to start paying interns. Now, I don't know if it's going to, you know, help pass, you know, this administration, if it changes and everything. But right now for the next two years, if you want to work in government, you now can afford to do that and start to get your foot in there. But make sure you, if you're looking for anything in any industry, look for paid internships. Mm. And then if you say, okay, my industry doesn't offer it, find an, an entrepreneur that you can help in that industry and work for them. And I promise you, they will pay you. And mm. with companies, you, you need to stop. You, a lot of you all are starting to get sued for that. So if I were you, I would just go ahead and start finding out a way how to pay interns, even if you have to take on less, but you need to pay the people. This is not free labor. Okay. You're spot on. This, from what I recall, this is the first year White House interns mm -hmm. are going to get paid. Yep. 
And I no. seen them. I seen the State Department, and I got a list of their internships. He he has a, a paper that breaks it down from freshman year to senior year. He, and he mm. said we're paying people. And I said I know because I wouldn't have shared well, if you wasn't. <laughs> well, and you better. I mean, yeah. Bank of America just released a study that said a lack of diversity is costing the American economy twenty three trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That means. The bottom line is you are hiring the least qualified person because they are the most familiar. Yeah. Because the only qualification you care about is familiarity. Yeah. Where in five years, the majority of college-age students mm-hmm. are going to be Black, Brown, Latino, right? Yeah. And so creating opportunities for your business, whether it makes heart sense or it makes head sense, it all makes sense, yeah. right? Where businesses say, look, I'm going to need the most talented. I can't cut off access to the most talented because they can't afford an unpaid internship, right? Oftentimes, the most talented are working three, four, five jobs in the summer Mm -hmm. trying to pay for the next term. Janae, is there anything else we missed? I know you wanted to talk specifically about current college students on what to do Um, as they're approaching the end of their college career to deal with student loan debt, but also to take advantage of some of the benefits that are currently out there. Yeah. So the good news for people who are current students or those about to graduate, I mean, as long as you had a student loan disbursed before June 30th, 2022, you possibly could qualify for the $10,000 or the $20,000 student loan forgiveness. So when that application comes out, Make sure that you fill it out so that you can actually get it, you know, handled before everybody else. Mm, Janice, thank you so much for taking time to join us on our inaugural episode of Get Uncomfortable. It wasn't that uncomfortable, was it? Oh, no, not at all. No, (laughs) it's always great to share community with you. Thank you so much for your expertise and thank you for all you do for our nation and for our young people. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Get Uncomfortable, the podcast with Adam A. Smith. This podcast is produced in partnership between Adam A. Smith and Rachel Hansen. Links to everything mentioned in the episode today, as well as Rachel and Adam's contact information, will be included in the show notes.